Acts 16. So um, Zach did 15. Uh, I imagine he talked on circumcision. And, um, and then also in Acts uh, 15, there was the division uh, over John Mark. Uh, we, we covered that in detail where John Mark, who is uh, related to Barnabas, uh, bailed on him. And then uh, uh, Barnabas wanted to bring him back. And Paul said no. And um, Barnabas split. And uh, Paul went with Silas, and they began this missionary journey, and uh, it brings us into Acts 16. But one last thing out of Acts 15 was that uh, there was question over whether or not these, uh, these new believers uh, should be circumcised, and the application of the law and circumcision. And um, uh, they, they wanted to apply the law and grace and go through all these aspects, and uh, Paul contended uh, for these Gentile believers that they didn't need to be circumcised. And so um, they they left Jerusalem. Paul contended with the other apostles in relation to that. And they left Jerusalem with um, kind of some outlines of, of what they wanted to apply to this new Gentile church. And so Paul's faithful to do that. But what's interesting is what we're going to see with one of my favorite characters in Scripture and uh, some of our most instructive uh, epistles. Epistle means letter. Uh, some of our most instructive epistles uh, for the church uh, are First and Second Timothy, and uh, that's Paul writing to Timothy, and Timothy is going to come on the scene. And Timothy is a result of Paul's first missionary journey, um, and and when he comes back around for this second go round, uh, he's he's going to find Timothy, and Timothy's going to have come to Christ, and he's going to be um, instrumental in Paul's life. Paul's going to refer to him as a son. Uh, he, he's going to have a deep love for him. Uh, Timothy's kind of frail. Um, he's got stomach ailments. We, we see in some of the writings where Paul said, take some wine for your stomach ailments. And uh, a lot of us have interpreted that as, you know, uh, you get to drink wine and, and others say no. And so they avoid wine and, and most of those are Baptists. And, um, and so they, they instead indulge in Baptist whiskey, which is NyQuil. Uh, so... <laughs> thought that was funny. I don't drink. I just get a lot of NyQuil, <laughs> Costco amounts. Um, but we're going to meet Timothy at the very beginning of this, and he's quite a, a wonderful young man. Um, and though he's, you know, he's got physical ailments, stomach issues, uh, he's also, he's, he's got an absentee dad. Uh, his dad wasn't a believer. His mom deeply loved the Lord. And Paul just out of nowhere has a heart for him. And, and takes him under his wing. And some of these epistles that we have that Paul wrote to Timothy are so instructive and so profound. So let's uh, pray and we'll begin. <clears throat> Lord, I ask your blessing. Just so thankful for uh, Dane's prayer. That, Lord, there's no way for us to understand this without you, Holy Spirit. So please, Lord, lead us into all truth and guide and direct us and, and exhort us and empower us and that we would glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts 16 uh, will begin at the beginning, which is a good place to start. Um, you know, we're not going to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share with you out of Acts 15, uh, verses 40 and 41. Paul chose Silas, departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia and strengthening the churches. So Paul backtracks and he's going back to the churches he ministered to. And that was kind of what he, he got at the end of, of Acts 15. And then we saw in Acts 15, 36 through 41, the division over, uh, over John Mark. 
But this is the part I wanted to focus before we start in Acts 16. This is verses 1 and 2 of Acts 15. It says, A certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension uh, and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other men should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. And they did, and they contended, and, and Paul, you know, just faced Peter and, and talked him down and, and really established this idea that it's by grace you've been saved by faith. Um, it, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Circumcision is not necessary for salvation any more than baptism is necessary for salvation. It's salvation by grace through faith. And that's it. And you're going to see a perfect example of this with the Philippian jailer, uh, the thief on the cross we saw earlier in the Gospels as we've gone through those. And so with that that issue of circumcision, so important, uh, and Paul stands to defend that they don't have to be circumcised to be saved. What's so fascinating to me is the beginning of Acts chapter 16. Here we go. Then Paul came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed. So she's a Messianic Jew. She's come to Christ, her Messiah. She's a completed Jew. Uh, Jews don't need to be saved. They need to be completed. Yeah, same thing. They need to be saved. But they've, they've come to the full understanding of, of, of their Messiah. And so she's a Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. And, and the concept of being Greek and also the way of the structure of the sentence is he was a pagan unbeliever. So you have a believing mother and an unbelieving father. And uh, a, a, there's, there's almost a distance here. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And we're going to see in uh, 1 Timothy when uh, the Apostle Paul is kind of handing the baton to Timothy He's going to say, uh, your grandmother Eunice, and he's going to talk about this unbelievable faith um, uh, on the matriarch side of his family and the absence of it in his father's side. And, and you have a grandmother praying for him. You have a mother praying for him. You see this young man established. And, and so this is a, another insight. Verse 2, he was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted him to go with him. So out of nowhere, Paul sees this kid. He was, he was probably converted um, through his mother and his grandmother, Eunice. We know that to be the, the case, possibly in the first missionary journey. Paul comes back into this area of, of Derby and Lister where he had been beaten and left for dead. There he sees this young man, Timothy, and right away he just says, you're coming with me. Um, and, it, and it speaks highly of of his mother's faithfulness, his grandmother's faithfulness. Uh, by the structure of the sentence, his father was absent. And so Paul wanted him to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him. <laughs> All the work in Acts 15 and contending in Jerusalem over circumcision, and Paul takes Timothy and circumcised him. And this is, this is the creepy part. The structure of the sentence is Paul did it himself. Um, I, you know... <laughs> Being a pastor of a church, calling a young man into the ministry and going, you know, we're going to have to, uh, that's just odd. I don't know. Anyone else? Anyone? Okay. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, so he circumcises him and, and you think, what in the world? Is this, is this a contradiction? Is, is, is Paul duplicitous? Uh, is he hypocritical? But he adds, he says, because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. You see, Timothy lives in a divided world. The Jews don't think him to be Jewish because his father's Greek. The Greeks don't consider him 
to, to, to be Greek because his mother's Jewish. But a, anyone who follows Jewish lineage understands, uh, especially in Israel, you have what is, is known, you can return, Aliyah, or I, no, not Aliyah, uh, you have the right of return. What is it? Aliyah, Aliyah, right of return. And you're allowed, uh, if you're Jewish, you're allowed to, to immigrate to Israel if you can prove your Jewish lineage through your mother's line. And so Timothy is Jewish. And Paul has an ability to go into synagogues, and he doesn't want this to be an issue. And so he says, you know what? Um, we're going we're gonna to circumcise you, because if you're going to travel with me, this is going to be necessary. And, and the idea is, you know, being a good Christian uh, doesn't mean that you have to be a bad Jew. And so Paul says, be all things to all men that you might win some. This is, a, this is an outward, I'm not changing anything that I've expressed in Jerusalem. We're just doing this for the furtherance of the gospel. It's an opportunity. You know, it's like um, uh, Joe Salon. He's not here tonight, so I can't use him as an illustration, and I don't know of anyone else to pick. But if you've ever seen Joe in short sleeves, he's got tattoos all over. Uh, and, and, you know, and a lot of those are tattoos that he, he had made to cover over prison tattoos that he had uh, that were awful. Uh, and so he put doves and crosses and the like. But, but that opens up doors for him that don't open for me. Um, it, it gives him opportunities that I don't have. And if he's going to go into these areas of the world to minister, uh, this is something that some folks do. And, and it's, you know, I, I'm not advocating tattoos. I'm not advocating adult circumcision. I'm pointing out that Paul was, will, will do anything uh, to, to reach the lost. He, he said that I would be accursed and my brethren would be saved. He had a love for the Jews. And so Timothy sees it. He says, look, Timothy, life's going to be a lot easier for you. You are Jewish. Your mother's line is there. Let's just make it clear and let's go for it. Um, you know, I, I don't have my master's degree completed. Uh, I don't have a PhD. That, does, that, that closes doors to me in some areas. But folks who do have a master's degree or have a gift of apologetics, doors open for them. Um, some of you have no access to, to the city hall. I do. Uh, these are all different areas that, that that's what Paul does. So he circumcised because of Jews who were in the region, for they all knew that his father was a Greek, and he just wanted to settle the issue and he is Jewish, and that's, that's how it is. And he's a Messianic Jew, just like his mother. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees to keep. Now, these are the decrees that they had established in Jerusalem. So Paul doesn't stray away from the decrees. He holds them. He's, he, he, he still circumcises Timothy, but he doesn't do it for the sake of his salvation. He does it for the sake of relationship with the people he's going to be ministering to. Paul's not hypocritical. He's doing it for the sake of love. And Timothy agreed to it. Listen, <laughs> Nobody does that to another man without the other man's permission. Just thought I'd say that. So, where were we? As they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees to keep, verse 4, which were determined uh, by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. Um, And so the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. I'd like to add this. We, We closed chapter 15 with John Mark bailing, or actually them saying, we don't want John Mark back. And, and, and Paul and Silas leaving um, uh, to, to start their own missionary journey. And, and they've lost John Mark, you know, a young man, uh, you know, somebody who can carry the load, and, and uh, nobody is indispensable in ministry. I don't care how much of a gift you think you are to the body of Christ, Rob. 
You're not indispensable. God God can preach through anyone and anything. And and he's not looking for ability, but availability. And if John Mark bails, God brings in a Timothy. And, And shoes are filled. And I've seen folks, I thought, you know, the ministry will not continue if they leave. And they leave, and sure enough, something happens. God just provides. Um, so I'll share this with you. It was a very difficult year financially. And I, I was looking at the horizon thinking, I, I don't see how we're going to do it. And we'd had all kinds of contingencies and things and, and, uh, I wasn't going to worry about it or stress about it. And a gift came in from somebody would be the last person I'd ever expect that gift to come from. And the only reason why I saw it was because it arrived Federal Express and, and Tony and I were in the office that day to open it up. It was shocking. And the person, I, I was shocked. And I, and I thought, I didn't even know they could do something like that or had that ability. That's what floors you is that even if a John Mark leaves, a Timothy comes in their place. God will always use the faithful and he's available. And so the churches were strengthened in faith and increased uh, in number daily. And, and, and that's exactly what they did. They preached the gospel. They strengthened the churches. They shared these decrees, and, uh, and, and they, they taught. Verse 6, this is fascinating. And I call this um, uh, a man from Macedonia named Lydia. Just thought I'd say that. And it sounds weird, yes? A man from Macedonia named Lydia. Well, let's figure out why I would say that. Now, when they had gone through uh, Fergia, and that's not named after Fergie. If you like it, then you should have put it. Um, and, and they sang that song there. That was the national anthem of Fergia. And the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. I don't know about you, but that to me seems, again, contradictory. Why would the Holy Spirit ever forbid the word to be taught? What does Jesus say? You don't parade your pearl in front of swine. Not that Asia's swine, and, and when it's speaking of Asia, it's talking about Turkey. It's not talking about Japan. It's not talking about China. And, and even in regards to it, it's not like God is forbidding that the word be taught there, just not now. And Paul has a heart to go into this region and to preach the gospel. He wants to go in and labor. That's the direction he's going. He's moving. Paul always moves forward. He never moves backwards. And as he's moving, the Holy Spirit forbid them to preach the word in this area where Paul was. Forbid them. Now, I don't know how he did it. I I personally think it was probably through hindrances. You know, it says in Revelation that God opens doors that no man can close and closes doors that no man can open. Usually hindrances stop you from going in a certain direction. I remember when we wanted to take a second out on our house when we were uh, newly married in Redlands, and I had to go through all kinds of hoops, and I had to deal with the loan agency, and and it was frustrating, and it took months and months. And stupid me, God didn't want me to take out a second. He had, he had done everything he could to try to get my attention because uh, the market would just go and the house would be upside down in the early 90s. And, and this is the idea. At least Paul's listening. Rob didn't. Verse 7, after they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So they just keep hitting closed door after closed door after closed door. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. This is their, their third shot. Uh, they, they, they're, they're trying. They go for their third shot. They get to Troas. And uh, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia 
to help us or come over to Macedonia and help us. You know, you think of uh, uh, Livingston, who uh, he wanted to preach the gospel in China and God sent him to Africa. Um, Hudson Taylor, or no, William, well, Hudson Taylor wanted to preach the gospel in India and God sent him to China. William Carey wanted to preach the gospel in Polynesia and God sent him to India. Um, God has a way of putting you where he wants you to be. And Paul can't seem to get into Asia. He's knocking, knocking, and he keeps on knocking, but he can't get in. And, and, and now he comes to Macedonia. Now, this is what's fascinating about Macedonia. He sees a dream. It's a man in a vision saying, come over, uh, and, and, and he's pleading with him. It's like he's on his knees. He's begging. His heart's broken. The, the, the structure in the Greek is, is just crying out, sobbing. It's, it's, his, it's his dream. It's his vision that just breaks his heart. And it, it just says, a man of Macedonia stood, pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he'd seen this vision, it was so profound, the scripture says, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, this is in the absolute opposite direction of where they were going. Uh, at one point, they're traveling uh, south, southwest, and now they're going to go northeast. And, and to go in that direction, they're going to have to cross the Aegean Sea, and as they travel, it's going to take them to the continent of Europe. It takes them to the continent of Europe. Bypasses Asia, goes straight into Europe. And, and it's this man pleading with them. So uh, they, 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 they travel there. So therefore, uh, verse 11, uh, sailing from Troas, we ran straight course to Samothrace, and the next day we came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a foremost city of the part of Macedonia. Now, by the way, if you look in Acts, I think it's Acts 20, verse 6, it, to take that same trip that they did from... Uh, Troas to Samothrace. It took them two days to go from Troas to Samothrace. If you look in Acts 20, verse 6, it takes them five days to come back. They went 156 miles in two days. The winds were like, this is where you're going. God's going, they're like, woo, we're going. So doors closed in this direction, winds blowing in that direction. They get it. Two days, 156 miles, effortless. They land in Samothrace. The next day they come to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, which is a foremost city of that part of Macedonia. It's a colony. Philippi, uh, Octavia, they, they had a battle there. Uh, a number of Roman soldiers retired there. It was a retirement community. I've been there. Um, it's, it's fascinating. It's a lovely place to retire. Uh, it's beautiful. And they were all there. And it was, it was very anti-Semitic. They didn't want Jews there. Jews weren't welcome there. This was a Roman colony in the Macedonia region. It was strictly for these retired centurion soldiers, the middle management and the upper management of the Roman forces. Uh, they had taken their, their leave, and they were all living in Philippi, and we don't want any Jews there. there were, it, was, it was so depleted of Jews in this region of the world that watch what happens. Uh, if, if, and I was with Marty when... When we traveled Israel, we landed in Atlanta before we landed in Tel Aviv. When we were in Atlanta, Marty was wearing a hat and he looked like a uh, he looked like a rabbi. And and there was um, there was a, a, a bunch of Jewish men that needed to gather for the prayers as the Shabbat or the Sabbath was beginning, and and they called Marty to come over because they needed ten men for a minion. 
Uh, and, and where there's 10 men, you can have a synagogue, you can have a minion, you can gather together, and it's considered um, um, a fellowship. Um, but you need 10 Jewish men. And they went over to get Marty, and Marty said, I, I'm a Christian. And they said, well, do you know the prayers? I know the prayers. Well, then come on. And Marty goes over there and begins to witness to the other nine J- Jewish men that were there, and they all had their, you know, and, the, and, the, and all, and he's just having a field day. And he knows the prayers better than they do. But that was a minion. They needed one more. They would even deal with a, a Messianic you know, Jew. They would deal with a man who's preaching the gospel to them. Just as long as they could get the minion. Well, look at this city. It's, it's a colony that is so anti-Semitic. They stay in the city for some days. But verse 13, on the Sabbath day, we had to go out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. There weren't even enough men for a minion. They didn't even have a synagogue. All they could do was gather outside the city where nobody would beat them up or nobody would break their store or their shops or, or where they could quietly pray and, and go through the prayers. And only women were gathering. There were not even 10 men to be able to declare a synagogue in this colony. And they had to meet in the outskirts of the city. Very anti-Semitic. And they gather and they spoke with the women who met there. And, you know, you can imagine uh, Timothy's kind of, you know, just having a problem sitting uh, or even moving because things are still healing. And uh, they probably asked the question, are you all right? Well, he's just been circumcised. Oh, you're a believer. But, you know, that's beautiful. What are you, crazy? It's wonderful. Look at you. And, and then they go through the whole reason why, and they're sharing the gospel as they're sitting by the river. Verse 14, a certain woman named Lydia heard us, and she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. Now, again, the seller of purple, you have these... Um, uh, they're, 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 they're like oysters or, or mussels, uh, but it's actually a snail that is in the Mediterranean. And you have to break this snail and you get one drop of purple dye from every, I don't know, bushel of, of these snails. And it was just a, a sought after color. It was a color of royalty. And that dye came from these snails and she traded in this. And anyone who dealt in this, this color dye, this seller of purple always made a fortune. This is like somebody who sold, uh, you know, a diamond dealer or this is a, a, a mink coat seller. Um, you know, somebody who sold coach leather bags. This, this woman is, is in the high end of the industry. And her name is Lydia, and she's rich. And she was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, and she worshiped God. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And by the way, the Lord opened her heart. You know, the greatest thing we can do for evangelism is to pray that God opens hearts. There's, there's really no evangelism without prayer. The best thing you can do is just lay down ground cover and pray. Um, and, and it was Jesus who said in John six forty four, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It's the Holy Spirit that moves, and we intercede, and, and we get in, in accordance with the Holy Spirit's stride, and, and the Holy Spirit lays that out. If you're wondering why your day's so lousy, I can guarantee you two things you're not doing. You're not praying, and you're not reading. If you haven't had a chance to witness, I can guarantee two things you're not doing. You're not praying, and you're not reading. If it's been a long time since you've had any spiritual conversation with me, I can guarantee you two things. You're not praying and you're not reading. I can guarantee you that. I know that for a fact. I don't even have to argue with you. If your marriage is struggling, one of the two of you isn't praying or reading. I can guarantee you that. I can guarantee you something else. You're not praying together. You know, the divorce rate is, is one in two. But for couples who pray together, it's one in 5,000. 
That's pretty good marriage counseling. <laughs> Nobody wants to do it. And, and by the way, praying as a couple, you hold hands and, and, and it's not arguing with your eyes closed. Lord, would you just help this stubborn, idiotic man of mine? Lord, would you help this, you know, brazen hussy wife of mine? Nagger, nah. That's arguing with your eyes closed, praying blessing on each other. Lord, would you bless my husband's day? Lord, would you bless my wife? Lord, thank you for my husband. Lord, thank you for my wife. Praying blessing on what? Just watch what happens to your marriage. You, you, you can't be angry with each other if you're before the Lord. It's like sitting before a judge who knows everything. And you can't even be dishonest in your prayers. If you, if you, it's just, it, it's uncomfortable to pray when you're lying. Because you're not praying, you're lying. With your eyes closed. So uh, they laid down prayer. She's totally moved by it. And the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. Verse 15. And when she heard her, uh, when she and her household, uh, and when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. So stop there for a minute. A man is bleeding in Macedonia. For Paul to come over and help. He gets to Macedonia, and who does he meet? A man named Lydia. She's the very first convert in Europe. By the way, you're all sitting in here as probably received the gospel through European sources in some capacity, just looking at the kind of the, the makeup of the room. Uh, Lydia was the first one, and it all started on the, by a river in the outskirts of, of this town of Philippi, and it was Lydia. And, and it travels, and then... It, you know, Rome is established and, and you go through, you know, the Reformation and then you have these Reformation leaders and then you have the movement with John Knox over in Scotland and then it transfers over to the United States and you have these Scottish Covenanters and these Puritans and, and it's established and it moves west and, and here we are in a nation that has religious liberty that was established and goes all the way back to this riverside with this woman named Lydia. Not even enough men there to do a minion and Lydia transformed Europe. One woman transformed Europe. It was, it was, it's a really cool church that starts here in Philippi, and I'll show you why. Yes, Lydia's the first convert. You're thinking, wait a minute, a man's praying. It's a man named Lydia. No, it's not. Watch. Um, Paul and Silas. Uh, this is... Oh, and by the way, God is establishing the gospel uh, and establishing these areas in Philippi as opposed to going into, you know, uh, Phrygia and, and uh, Galatia and Bithynia and Mysia uh, here he is in Philippi, and, and I think, I like what one author said, he said it was easier for the gospel to spread from these cities than for the gospel to spread to these cities. These had to be the center. If, if you have a strong central church, the spokes are easier to establish. And so it, God is establishing the hub right here in Philippi, and he knows what he's doing. And by the way, God knows what he's doing even when he says no. And this has been an awful week. Frustrating. Just got off the phone with Steve Rice. His brother died. He had to be there when they pulled the plug. His younger brother. Sitting with uh, Aaron Robinson, his wife Jennifer. Young couple. Two young children. They, they run a business right here in, in the complex, making airplane panels. Husband and wife. Small business owners. He's diagnosed, it collapses in his, in his shop. Diagnosed with geoblastoma, no known cure given 18 months to live. Rusiskowski's in the hospital, Kaiser, seizures, 
dealing with cancer. We've been praying for these folks. There are a lot of times God says, yes, Scott Berman, go over to have the conversation with him that it's not looking good and this doesn't work. What do we, you know, we have to prepare for certain things. God knows what he's doing even when he says no. That's called faith. And again, with all those folks and I share with them, God heals in one of four ways. The body heals itself. The doctor can be used to heal. There's miraculous healing, which is nobody can explain. And then there's the fourth one that nobody likes to talk about, but it's a perfect healing eternal in the heavens. But he does heal. You want one of the first three. God sometimes says, no, I'm going to give you the fourth. He still knows what he's doing. He always does. It's always good. God says, no, 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 no. Sees a man, meets a woman. Sees a man in a dream, sees a woman. Not even enough Jews for a synagogue. Outskirts of the town. First convert's a woman. For Paul, it's like, are you kidding me? We had all kinds of opportunities and shut all these doors, and now we're here. What next? Well, let's take a look. And Timothy's going, ah, I signed up for this. This is kind of stupid. I left mom to find another woman who's here. Are we just going to minister to women? Thought I'd throw that out there. Now it happened as we went to prayer, verse 16, that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us. By the word, the word divination means possessed with the spirit of, uh, uh, the Greek word ties in with the word python. It was, it was, um, like the snake god, uh, it was it was just demonic, and she has this spirit of divination. And this isn't the the strange folks that can you know sit in a uh, or be in a crowd and and uh, kind of get cues, asking certain questions. It's, um, so I'm kind of sensing you. You had a grandmother, is that right? You did. Okay, yeah. And um, uh, and 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 uh, you you had a mother and a f- oh you did. Okay. Oh 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 oh. I see. Your father was. Uh, I can see by your your father uh, died. Or, or was sick in some capacity, because I'm sensing, you know, just playing this whole, you know, build-up game. That's that's just mimicry. That's that's gimmick. I should say gimmickry. That's this is demonic. Um, you know, the 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 demonic spirits, the devil and 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 his his demons. They're not they're not supernatural. They can't read your mind. But what they can do is they can they can see consistencies of human beings. You know, if you're if you're driving in your car, and 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 there's a demonic presence, and you have an a, an affinity towards alcohol, and you're driving, and you just kind of glance over at the bar, immediately there's a pickup there of observation. Um, okay, let's let's bring someone into the path. Let's do the, you know, what you're surfing on the internet. The the, the presence there can guide and direct you if you're yielded to it. You can't be possessed unless you're open to that and you're yielding. And so as your mind is turning, your eyes are turning, these are things. So this is a demonic divination, reading into people's lives. And and she's completely possessed. Uh, and she met us and she brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. I mean, she she was she was epic. 
people were coming from all over the place to get their palms read and, and their fortune. She just, her eyes would roll back in her head and the Ouija board would move and, and would spell the name of a great grandfather and they'd be floored and forking out money and, and, and doing stuff like you can't imagine. People were just moved by it. My, uh, my, my grandmother on my father's side was the tarot card reader and, and tea leaf reader in her town. Uh, my grandfather on my father's side was the town drunk. Uh, this this is that my my father's side of the family and of all the siblings my dad was the only one to get a college degree, you know I I, I thank my father and, and I'm blessed by my dad for kind of breaking away from that. Here this woman is inundated with and she's she's so possessed that that the supernatural divination uh, is is affecting people and and they're willing to pay money to to have their fortunes read, and so. Verse 17, this girl followed Paul and us. And by the way, when it says us, someone just got picked up on the trip, and that's Luke. Who's writing the book of Acts? Luke. He just got picked up on the trip. God just gave Paul a doctor. Uh, And this is, God sends him to Troas to meet Luke. And it's so subtle, but, but Luke is now with them. Uh, the girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Doesn't that sound cool? These men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Is there anything wrong with that statement? No, not at all. And the church is filled with demonic people saying the right things. And they have a spirit of distraction. I, I, I remember... I can remember a number of times where there is somebody present in a room when I'm speaking that they are their amens are so loud and so obnoxious that nobody is getting anything from the message. And and amen means true and and they're testifying to the truth of whatever I'm saying, but nobody can hear it because they're st- stunned every time the person shouts out, drawing attention to themselves and this this woman is following them everywhere they're going. Everywhere they're going, these are the men, uh, these are men of the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. After a while, it become uh, a bit annoying. Um, I like in Mark chapter three, uh, verse 11, and the unclean spirits, whenever they saw Jesus, fell down before him and cried out saying, you are the son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. You know, um, there are times, and especially when you run for office, there are some people who you really don't want going door to door for you. They love what you're doing. They really believe in what you're doing. But when they open their mouth, it's odd. And, and you, you know, I've got a job. For, would you like to fold envelopes? And for those of you who fold, folded envelopes, I, it wasn't you. I was just, I don't know where to go with this. But, but there are folks like that where it, 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 they're distracting and, and, and they, they create, they're, they're more of a liability than they are an asset. And this woman is following them everywhere they're going saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. First day it's like, hey, praise the Lord, that's great. Oh, praise the Lord, that's great. Praise the Lord, that's great. Praise, oh, shut up, you know? And everyone just, could you just zip it, woman? I love this. Verse 18. She did this for many days and look, but Paul, not just annoyed, greatly annoyed. 
Anyone ever been greatly annoyed with somebody who just won't shut up? <laughs> just, just the same. Just <laughs> he turned and he said to the spirit, not to the woman, he loved the woman, but he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. Now, it took him many days to realize this is not normal. There's just something is odd. You know, if it, if it quacks like a duck and it walks like a duck, odds are it's a duck. And finally just turns in and just says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out. He didn't say, I, Paul, you know, the sons of Siva, we're going to see later, get the daylights beaten out of them. Um, in the name of, of Jesus Christ, whom Paul preaches, and then the demons just beat the tar out of them. They run out of the city naked. Here Paul knows better. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And, he, he, and the demon came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope to profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. So Paul and Silas look Jewish. Anti-Semitic region. Paul and Silas look totally Jewish. Timothy, not so much. He's half Greek. Doesn't look completely Jewish. But Paul and Silas, they look Jewish. And they've been preaching the gospel. They've been shut out of Fergia. They've been shut out of all these areas. They go to trials. Now they're in Philippi one convert, a woman, and then another woman following him every day while they're preaching the gospel that won't shut up. Finally, they, they command the spirit to come out, and all of a sudden the prophet in the city is gone because this woman isn't reading the tarot cards anymore and, uh, and, and telling their fortunes, and, and now they're upset. So they seize, and, and seize means to apprehend, to put in bondage, uh, Paul and Silas, and they drag them you know, dragging, it's, it's a vivid picture, dragging into the marketplace, which is the center of the city. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews, now we don't like Jews in our town. Now, you Jews don't belong here. It's like, it's like being a Jew in, in France right now. You don't belong here. We don't want your kind. This is what they're facing. Being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. They're just throwing out anything that'll stick, but none of it has any complaint other than their ethnicity. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitudes rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes, commanded them to be beaten with rods. Now, when the Jews would beat you, they had a limit to the stripes that they could put on you. Um... Not here, and it wasn't a cat of nine, it was rods, and they were just whacking them, just endlessly pounding them. And as the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, these folks, are they ministers of Christ? Well, I speak as a fool. I am more of a minister of Christ. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. He goes through it, and he just says, nobody's been beaten more than me. And it all happened in Philippi. And they just went to town on them with just, just baseball bats. Riddle me this, riddle me that. Say hello to my baseball bat. Whap, 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 whap. And they're smacking them and smacking them and smacking them. And they're just going, stupid Jew, dirty Jew. And they're whacking them and hitting them. And, and you just, you've just got this ethnic anger. You've got this prejudice. You've got this Roman zeal. I mean, the city is aflame and it's all coming out on these two guys. And Timothy's back there going, I left home for this? And he's watching Paul just get pummeled. He's watching Silas get pummeled. And he remembers back in Derby when they'd done it to him before. And that's why Timothy went with him the first time. It's because he saw a man that was willing to put his life on the line. He says, that's a man I want to follow. And it's almost like Paul's protecting Timothy and, and Paul and Silas are getting beaten to, to tar. 
They rose up against them, tore their clothes off. So they're naked, they're beating them. Verse 23, and when they laid many stripes on them, just like we read in 2 Corinthians, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailers to keep them securely. So the jailers beat them, and they, they put them in securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And if you see these stocks, it's not like two little holes. They would separate the legs that they were stretching so you couldn't even find a way to lay down comfortably. It would dislocate your back. It would hurt you. They knew how to make you miserable. And it's not just in the prison. It's in the inner part of the prison where all the excrement flows and all the, you know, the, the prison waste. And they're knee deep in it. And they're in these stocks. And they're miserable. And the, the, the jailer has been pounding on him. And, and he's got him imprisoned, and it is awful. And Timothy's outside going, man. And Paul and Silas are in there, and you think, all right, Lord, you shut all the doors, you let us here. We get one convert, we have another woman who follows us around yelling at us. I, I cast a demon out in, in accordance with your name, and I get the daylights beating out me, and now I'm in a prison. And my legs are just stretched, my back is bloodied, my face is bloodied. I mean, you didn't even, it's my whole body. And Silas, they're both looking at each other, just going, this is a great day, isn't it, Paul? You fetch it, Silas. This is one of the finest days we've had. Hey, is that my tooth or yours? I'm not certain. I think I just swallowed one. I can't speak because my tongue is so swollen and I'm barely able to see you because my eyes are, that's, that's probably a lovely conversation they're having. I would, I would pick that up for you, Paul, but my arm is broken. You know, and it's, I'll just drag this one over and grab that for you, my friend. And what do they do? Verse 25, at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. They had never heard so- sounds like that in the inner parts of this prison. They're praising God in the midst of it all. Praising God in the midst of it all. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. That's quite an earthquake. And it's a foundation, shaken to the foundation, shaken to the foundation, shaken to the foundation. Think about this, watch. The chains were loosed. Chains were loose, shaken to the foundation, chains loose, shaken to the foundation, chains loose. Verse 27, and the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Because the punishment for a Roman guard is that you would face the same sentence that your prisoner was supposed to have if the prisoner who was in your charge escaped. You'd have to face their sentence. He knows he's going to die. He don't want to deal with it. I might as well take my life. And he's going to do a little Harry carry. Harry carry. And he's taking his sword and he's ready to kill himself. I'm trying to make you feel comfortable with the Japanese thing. Um, So he's about to kill himself. Verse 28, Paul called out with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Stop for a minute. If I'm Paul and Silas and the things have been set free and that's the guy who beat me and he's about to kill himself, I go, man, stinks to be you. Have a nice day. Let's go. Come on, Silas. You know, broken leg and hobbling out and bloodied. and Which way is the door? I don't know. Paul says, do yourself no harm for we're all here. Stay together, everybody. And then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. So he falls down prostrate, which is the, the idea in the Greek. He's got the lantern. He falls down before Paul and Silas because he heard the singing, felt the earthquake, saw the chains off, realized that they call out to him just about to kill himself. He falls down at his, uh, on his face he brought them out and he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? It was the singing and the prayers and the hymns that prepared the soil of the man's heart. As the prison was shaken to the foundation, so, so was he. And now he wants the chains to be loosed from his life that have had him in bondage. You want to talk about the man in Macedonia crying out, come save me? 
come help us? It's him. He hated his job. He hated his life. He was sick of it. He'd never seen anything like this in all of his life. God had closed every door and put these men in. God didn't give the earthquake to set Paul and Silas free. God gave the earthquake to set that man free and shook him to his foundation. He says, what must I do to be saved? I love this, verse 31. It, was, it just says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You and your whole household. It's not Calvinism that you know, you're know you all added in the minute you come and it's through covenant. No, what he's saying is, you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and, and your whole, whole family as well. And, and the idea is you will be saved. You don't have to go through baptism. You don't have to go through first communion. You don't have to go through any of this. And he didn't talk about denomination. He didn't talk about Calvinism. He didn't talk about Arminianism. He didn't talk about, you know, what is your eschatology. He just said, real simple, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. I was talking to Steve today. He says, what do I say to my brother? I said, the last sense of the human body to go is, is the sense of, uh, of hearing. And he can hear everything you say. I just want you to whisper in his ear. Just say, Lord Jesus, save me. I, I believe Lord Jesus, save me. Those are the last words that are your lips before you die. You'll be saved. You go, that's so easy. Yeah, amen. It is. It wasn't easy for Jesus to make it available for you to be so easy, but it, it is easy. It cost him everything, so that all you have to do is utter those words from your heart. He says, believe. And the idea of believe is committing yourself, connecting. And people say, no, 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 you have to repent and believe. He already had repented. He'd fallen down on his face. And he asked them, and then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his household. So if they, weren't, if, they, if they had been saved, why did Paul have to speak the word to them? He spoke the word to them so that they would come to Christ. Verse 33, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, the same ones he had inflicted on them, he cleans. That is called a conversion. <laughs> you were once the abuser, and now you're the comforter. And he washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he brought them into the house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. Um, yeah, I like this. Uh, having believed with God and all of his household. So he not only cleans their wounds, but he feeds them. Now, his life is in danger. And this is what happens. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the officer saying, let, those, let these, those men go. See, Paul and Silas willingly go back to the prison and to the magistrates so that this guard doesn't die. Greater love has no man than this and to lay down his life for a friend. That's the kind of evangelism the world needs. That you love the lost more than you love your life. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. See, the prison was shaken to the foundation. The chains were all loose. Paul and Silas stuck, stuck around. The prison guard was stunned. And the magistrates, like most politicians, says, we don't want to deal with it. Just sweep it under the rug and go away. Can you just go away? Paul says, no. We're Roman citizens. We're going to deal with this. You're not getting away with this. Paul contends in the civic arena for what is right. Just thought I'd add that. 
No, indeed, let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So Paul goes, okay, we'll leave, but we'll leave on our own terms. Now they own the town now. (laughs) They own them. Verse 40, so they went out of the prison, entered the house of Lydia. When they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them, and then they departed. We're going to go have a little church time, and we'll let you know when we're going. Lydia, how you doing? And from there on out, they're like, don't mess with Lydia. They know Paul and Silas. I like what one author writes about the church in Philippi, and this is why the church is so cool, because the man who was pleading was a prison guard. And God had sent them to the prison and, and didn't send the earthquake to set Paul and Silas free. He sent the earthquake to set this man free. And Timothy got to witness it all. And I, and I love what this one author writes. He says, they encouraged them and departed in Philippi. Paul and Silas left behind two notable converts, Lydia and the prison guard. Each of these two had, uh, had their lives touched by Jesus in very different ways. And the contrast, the author says, is Lydia was a churchgoer. The guard was not. Lydia was prospering in business. The guard was about to kill himself. Lydia's heart was gently opened. The guard's heart was violently confronted. The guard, had rem- the guard had a remarkable sign, an earthquake, but Lydia, all she had was the move of the Holy Spirit on her heart. Both heard the gospel and believed, and through each of them, their whole families were touched. You talk about a really cool church with two contrasting converts uh, left behind there in Philippi, Lydia and this jailer. And, and possibly the slave girl as well. She's like, I used to hassle them, and they, I, I don't even remember. It was like I was on some sort of you know, trippy drug, and, and he, uh, I'm delirious. What, what a ch- cool church. And, and Paul would write to the letter of the, uh, uh, Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, Christ, though being God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the form of a servant unto death, even death on a cross. Just reminding the church in Philippi. That's how it all began. That's how it all began. And they're, I, I just think that would have been a really cool church. and ended up being a really strong church. And Timothy was rocked by it. And where do you see what happens with Timothy, Timothy's life as we, we go further through uh, the remainder of the book of Acts? And oh, by the way, Paul got to go to Troas to find a doctor. And so Luke has joined him and he's going to travel with him. And here he is writing the book of Acts, the most prolific writer of the New Testament. All that happened because God said no. And God knows what he's doing even when he says no.